0: Director Ricky Staub of Neighborhood Film Company. We uh, spend the majority of this episode talking about a recent short film that came out about a month ago called *The Cage*, which is uh, online on Vimeo for free. It's a uh, uh, you know under fifteen minutes. If you have the time to check that out before diving into this episode, highly suggest it. As uh, we talk at length about the project, what the project meant to him, how it came about, and then you know from there going off on tangents, more um, macro and existential in nature as is uh, how this podcast likes to roll. But obviously, if you can check that out, it would help. And um, also, you know, check out his other work, too. The Dude is a Beast, really talented. And um, I think it informs a lot of the conversation, of course. And so some interesting things in addition to know about Ricky is that when he did start Neighborhood Film Company, the idea was also to include an apprenticeship for ex-incarcerated people that, as part of uh, coming out of prison, They could be an intern or an apprentice at the A paid position where they only take three a year and um, it's an eight-month program and they truly put them to work obviously not as a director or cinematographer or something but there's just so many business office style positions in film and um, they really give them a platform to you know start a new life and learn how to do business in general and a lot of them either um, you know I, I think that they have really good success rates for people just finding stability in their lives some might end up staying in the industry others can like like use what they've learned and apply it to other businesses, other industries. So it's a really interesting story, and especially that you know it helps Neighborhood Film Company too, which is super cool because it's not not all charity needs to be um, a one-way street in terms of someone's only giving and someone's only getting. You know, I think they went he went out on a massive gamble to. Uh, start this company, which we talk about that gamble. And it's nice that it's paying off in social ways, economic ways. It's, it's just cool that it could be success on more than a charitable front. Uh, and I actually think that's where sustainability for these types of things really gets rooted. So that's really exciting. And then um, also we had a conversation that I'm pretty sure it's the first one we've had on the podcast. Um, Ricky is a religious guy. He's a Christian. And it has been a guiding light for him in terms of making that career change and um, going about doing things differently with Neighborhood Film Company. And we talk about that. I'm not a religious guy, but it's interesting to find, you know, I think that religion or the way that we might view the world or our sense of self in it can be, um, it lays a groundwork for how we treat ourselves, how we treat others. And that is, you know, for some, religion is the guide. For others, it, it might be cultural things or humanistic things and so we talk about that i didn't feel the need to shy away from the fact that i'm not religious and i felt like it was a good conversation and I, especially because there is a contingent of um filmmakers that definitely are have have a similar mindset to ricky and it's it's fascinating hearing that perspective and seeing how it influences the work obviously i think the cage when you watch it there are religious moments in that movie for sure but you know i don't think that any of that from speaking from a non-religious point of view, you know, didn't ruin anything for me. It didn't make me enjoy it less. I think it's a fantastic short and a, and a good story. So that was just an interesting Thing to discuss since it's not something we've really discussed in the past with anyone. So that was fascinating. And lastly, uh, this podcast came together because of uh, Film Supply. The Cage was the first in a new endeavor from Film Supply called Film Supply Originals. For those who don't know, Film Supply is a stock imagery company, um, but the stock imagery is much more artistic and high end. A lot of people that have been on this show have accounts there where their work is up there. Some of my work is up there. And Cody, who works at Film Supply, reached out saying, you know, we just put this out and if you'd like to sit down with Ricky, that would be super cool. And that's how it all came together. So thanks to them because, I mean, it's cool that they could provide a platform for the people that are supplying the content and allowing them to make new content. And um, it's nice that it uh, brought Ricky and I together because I think the the conversation was really it was, it was new and it was different and it was nice that we were able to focus on uh, an individual project that had recently come out that was new um, similar to last week with Shal and I think that that poses interesting questions where we can have um, more nuanced conversation just because uh, we're talking about something where the emotions are uh, super fresh so that was great. Um, just some housekeeping if you can like and comment on iTunes that will help spread the uh, conversation and the show further we're on all social media channels at Pod that's our handle and for any inquiries, questions, or uh, guest ideas you can email uh, this show's producer Courtney Ryan at Courtney at avcpod.com. So, Ricky Staub of Neighborhood Film Company, as always thanks for being here. Obviously Cody put us in touch because of the film supply originally you guys did with The Cage. Yeah. That came out about a month ago, yeah?
1: Yeah, I guess it's been about a month now. It came how out you, the 22nd uh, or 23rd or something like that. Yeah,
0: how are you feeling a month out?
1: Uh, it's been great. It's actually really exciting. I'm trying to quantify I, I'm very surprised that, I guess, the reception the film has received. I don't know, really know what I expected, but it's definitely been better. It's exceeded my expectations.
0: Yeah, how, how would you define the reception so far?
1: Um, I guess when I was making the story, I knew it was somewhat of a, I mean, it was definitely like a personal story for me. And then there were some, you know, some odd creative choices that I felt like I was making in telling a story. So I just didn't know how it was going to be received. Um, I had a huge insecurity that it was going to be really weird for some people because of the, there's this like super dark grounded reality. And then there's this hyper real kind of visual stuff happening. I also didn't really know if it would work. So... (laughs) Going into it, I was a little nervous yeah. if it was even if it was even going to play together. So there was a huge risk on my end. But well, then um, yeah. I was just going to say then just to, to see people's reaction uh, after sharing it, which I feel like is a super vulnerable moment. That I hadn't sure. really experienced you know I feel like I'd only ever done client work I'd never done a personal project so I you can always hide behind the fact that oh the commercial sucked because you know the agency mm-hmm. ruined it or the client ruined it you can everyone can blame everyone and feel good about it that it's not this like magical oh, yeah. piece but if this sucks of- it's like oh I suck <laughs>
0: yeah well like i was gonna say the power of passion projects is that i mean and there's also that moment where you're like oh there's there's nowhere to hide there's no excuse i can give there's no like creative director that like said it had to be a certain way and i'm letting that be a shield against my own insecurity about the decision exactly
1: that's totally what i felt it was if people think this is stupid it's a complete reflection of me being stupid (laughs) as a person oh yeah
0: no, there's nowhere to hide in that. Every decision. And I think, obviously, your commercial work is all very good and of the same, I think, caliber and aesthetic as this. But there must have been a different type of growth when every decision has doesn't have that, at least mental safety net.
1: Yeah, it was weird. I I remember the first... I had a conversation with my DP who had shot a bunch of stuff with me. His name's Minka. He's amazing. And... We kind of started laughing because we were making all these decisions and, you know, our AD or Dan, our producer, we're all like, all right, cool, we'll do that, blah, blah, blah. And I just looked at Mink and I said, it feels so strange that literally I can do whatever I want. Like, I don't have to run it by, I don't have to run it up the chain of command. If I feel like instinctually this is what the story needs, that's the only thing I'm serving is that, you know, and I had my trusted people. It
0: recalibrates your sense of it.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I it started to really it was exciting because I was like, oh, yeah, I can literally just do what I feel is best. I don't have to run it by anyone. And I had like I trust Minka. I trust Dan, my business partner, who is our EP as well. Like if something isn't feeling right, you know, I have like my bounce boards. But other than that, it was like, hey, I want to shoot this or let's do that or let's make it darker or let's you know, it was just crazy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And as you were dealing with I guess, because you were pushing it regardless of the fact that you had, you were wondering, is this going to work? Oh, and yeah. Is it, you know, like, when was the moment where you've either just stopped caring about that or you actually felt like, no, 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 this is going to work? Was it sometime in post? Did, did it ever happen during production?
1: Well, there were a few moments. The first... um One of the first, so the way that we structured the shoot was we did a splinter unit for two days over a weekend, which were the scene in the church and the barbecue were actual real events that were taking place. So we scheduled those. I was going to ask about that because it felt like that. Yeah. And then, and then we took a week of prep and then a week, four days of shooting. So it was six days total of shooting. Um, and one of the first nights was in the church and I was so nervous about it because in the script, I really wanted this powerful scene that really conveyed like people's brokenness and what it felt like to be in community and to share in each other's brokenness as a form of healing. And I had shared this with the pastor of the church. He's the guy in the beginning that introduces Blake, who gives this incredible testimony. And he kept telling me, he's like, I'm going to bring people that like, I'm going to blow you away. Like I got the right guys coming for you. And I'm like, okay, okay. You know, and I just am thinking like, (laughs) If this sucks, the whole story hinges on this moment. and uh,
0: Yeah, I guess you were shooting an emotional climax of sorts first. Yeah, which which
1: was really intense. But as the scene is super emotional, we're shooting it. And I'm actually sitting basically just to the left of Blake as he's speaking. I was like kneeling on the ground, so I was below him. And I was genuinely in tears because his testimony... Uh, It's a, you know, a crop down version for the film, but was just so gripping. And I was literally crying because I'm like, man, God, this is more than I ever asked for. Like this is I remember thinking, holy shit, this is going to be crazy oh yeah Um,
0: well it was it was interesting because i you know i watched it the first time when it first came out because you know everybody was sharing it and stuff and our circles were were all hyped on it and then i watched it again last night in prep for for this talk and i guess i realized that second time around i was like oh that had to have been real yeah because the level of candor and emotion i mean even if it was an actor, like it, whoever was doing it, was was touching on something quite real for them, regardless.
1: Oh yeah, I mean it is a performance. Like the guy Blake, he knew he knew we were filming. I mean we lit the whole church; it looked like a set, and everyone knew what we were doing. Um, yeah. and he knew. I mean the cameras, you know, ten feet from his face, and so. Mm-hmm in some ways it is a genuinely like amazing performance, but he wasn't really acting. He was truly sharing a story. So it is that weird blend. But you know, we also have uh, William, our actor in the audience acting the whole time.
0: And so yeah, no, like was, when I yeah. saw it the second time, I felt like I saw a little bit of the ingredients because yeah. you could tell like, Oh, he was an actor placed with a bunch of people who also were, but not, not in a bad way. It was more like, Oh no, that's so smart. Sure, that's, yeah. that's how you get that level of um, emotion and kind of make it feel genuine because on a certain level it is. Um, totally. How far back was the genesis of this story for you? When did the first ideas for this story come about?
1: Probably about April or May of last year. Uh, I guess the idea didn't come till April or May. The conversation about doing a short film started about this time last year. We were in the middle of a really large campaign for Xfinity, actually. And Dan and I were just sitting there, and I was like, Man, this is amazing. Like, I can't believe people pay me to make commercials. It's so fun. It's crazy. But I was like, I just don't think anyone's ever going to watch a 60 second commercial or a 30 second commercial and be like, Man, that guy should make a movie for two hours. I said, You know, because that's
0: where you want to go.
1: Yeah, I want to shoot features. And so, You know we had been writing features and we doing all this stuff and i'm like i think we gotta take you know the earnings essentially from this campaign and really put our money where our mouth is so the second half of the year i know it'll be hard but i think i need to say no to work and put aside time to do a short both of us so he's like dan was like all right well go write your dream you know what you want to do and so I wrote the cage, and everyone on my team thought I was crazy because on paper it seems pretty bizarre, like this kid being eaten by vines and. That's really. Yeah, I'm sure drama. It, it makes
0: so much sense visually, but I'm sure written out in the script form. Yeah, is I, like I remember. A
1: lot. Uh, john one of our producers at our company told me he's like ricky has lost his mind he's like there's no way we can pull this off it's he's like i I don't get it but that's the beauty of you know being an owner of the company i'm like oh well we're gonna do it so
0: was that discouraging like in all seriousness
1: uh no i mean i totally value everyone's opinion at my company but i have kind of always lived in this like i have people that i trust from a creative standpoint and then other people where i'm like i just have to trust my gut like i know what the story can be
0: Oh no, I value that. I mean, I feel like sometimes it's nice to get opinions, not to listen to that opinion, but to listen to your gut reaction to it.
1: Yeah. And this, you know, working on this, not to jump any direction, but I got a lot of naysayers all across the board, the whole journey from script to shooting. Even people that watched it that I was trying to get notes from that were like, I don't get it. They didn't like it. But I just kept being like, well, I do like this is kind of where I want it to go or this makes sense to me or um, but anyway, the, hey, if,
0: if, if a negative critique emboldened you on the position, that's value in and of itself. Yeah.
1: And I learned that I didn't, you know, at first I was like, Oh my God, so-and-so doesn't like it. Does that mean everyone's not going to like it? And then I had to remember, you know, there's movies that, you know, my wife and I were talking about, she's like, I love that movie. I was like, that movie sucked. And she's like, hates this movie that I love. And I'm like, that's the beauty of films is some people love mm-hmm. them. Some people hate them. It's just different when you're the maker of a film that people love and people don't like, you know, you don't ever consider that. <laughs> but, you know, being that person that has to receive that kind of critique. But.
0: uh Oh, it's inevitable.
1: But no, we. uh Yeah. So I'd say it was basically I, I, I wrote the script and finished it in June. And then July and August, we started doing scouts and meeting people because part of the other thing that I pushed from the beginning is I wanted it to feel real, but I couldn't, you know, it's a passion project. So we didn't have a lot of money. And so I was like, I'm going to use people from the neighborhood I I lived in with the office. And so I really pulled from relationships of real people hoping I'd be able to get them to give me the performances. But it was just a gut feeling that I knew if I casted people, not that they were necessarily like the perfect, this is exactly their life, but they knew how to tap into what I was emotionally going for that I felt like they could do it. Um, and so I did a lot of work on the front end. And then it was basically from like September through the end of the year. I didn't work on anything but the cage. So even to the dismay. That's like four
0: months just dedicated to a passion thing where obviously, you know, it's not a working job.
1: No. And it was really tough because, you know, there are some jobs I was up for that I ended up turning down because of conflicting scouts or writing or, you know, then the shoot itself. I took off all of October and was in Philly. Uh, even though we only shot a week, but I just, and it was really
0: prep before a shoot like that.
1: It was insane. And so uh, it was really Dan, my business partner that, you know, I kept being like, no, I can shoot that. Like I can do that. Like it's, and he's like, dude, you don't, there's just way too much invested in this short. It's not worth it. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And so it was really hard because we're spending money and we're not, you know, I'm not making any money for the company. I mean, thankfully we have, you know, other people directing projects and there's other money coming in, but it's tough when you're looking at a bid for whatever, a couple hundred grand and saying, no, we're gonna, you know, Ricky needs to write. It's like, <laughs> seems well, yeah, pretty guess, ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Especially when it's that way, and, you know, being the business owner, you feel a certain how many people are on staff.
1: Uh, there's five, I guess on staff and then me and yeah. uh, Dan, there's people
0: that are counting staff. on you and you're aware of that. And then like, it's not, you know, oh, yeah. and those jobs aren't happening. Cause you are like writing your, your yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> little, little dream piece. I could see that being really hard to grapple with.
1: Yeah. You know, the hardest part was I had so much anxiety of failure. Like, will all this be worth the sacrifice? You know, will I look like, what a would, fool? what would
0: failure have looked like?
1: I think if the film just sucked, like flat out was like terrible. Mm. Like I knew it and everyone else knew it. (laughs) I mean, that would probably have been the worst. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's like, yeah, I think that's what's so exposing about passion projects is like we were talking about. You have nothing to hide behind. It's no one else's fault, you know, but really, your own. I think as a director, certainly it takes a huge village to make something. But I feel like the unfortunate reality, as it falls, it will just fall on the director as being terrible. So at least that was yeah. what was rocking around in my head.
0: Well, that I mean, but that is the thing. Like, it's your fault when it's bad for reasons not your own, and it's your glory when it's good for reasons not your own.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And you, like, you get a lot of credit you. for everyone else's talent. That's <laughs> yeah. crazy to me. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, yeah, the whole uh, a film by notion is an interesting conversation, considering how many people are on a set. Um, but I mean, was there any indicators besides it just being good? Or like, I get because it's kind of in, almost intangible how to describe. Well, no, it it is successful, and why it's like, well, because it's good. But is it, was there anything that you were hoping for? I mean, because it's I guess only being a month old, understanding the full benefits of it are still yet to unfold. Really,
1: yeah. I'm trying to think what like benchmarks I had in my mind that would make it good. You know, I was, I forget who I was talking to a buddy about how I feel like he was asking me about my anxieties before I went into the project. And I said, you know, I always imagine there's like this imaginary audience of people. Like I barely know that I feel like are going to watch it and I want Mm. like them to think it's good. And I said, and there's just like some basic ones that I think every filmmaker in my position nowadays has like, well, if it gets staff picked, then I can be like, okay, well, it was affirmed by the community that it was good you know Mm -hmm. and it was it was really i guess humbling for me to realize how much like i i cared about that stuff and it was kind of sad but i mean just being honest it was something that rattled around in my brain of you know will all these people that some i've i don't even know like are they gonna think it's good like these vimeo all-stars as i always say like yeah But at the end of the day, it was a good kind of crucible to go through. I'm like, do I really care? Like, they don't intersect in my life ever. But I think... It makes you
0: question a lot. I mean, like, art for affirmation is dangerous. But, like, if you were to say that it doesn't exist in the best of us, that's also disingenuous, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was very revealing to me how much I cared about what other people thought, which made me sad. You know, like, at Mm. the end of the day. Because I don't think... I'd ever taken so much personal weight into a commercial project because I had so many shields of, well, you know, if someone's going to ruin it along the way, I'm going to give it my best effort, but someone will tell me it's too moody and I got to put more lights on it or someone will, you know, I don't even get to edit the commercial. I just see it and I'm like, oh, that's weird looking. You know, it's like there's so many areas to be just like I could cast it off. And, you know, here I think is like pride was a really huge battle of, wow, I can't believe I'm actually worrying about this so much, you yeah
0: and it repositions your mindset i think for me at least on like my my heroes in film because it's it's one thing to feel like i kind of know what not what their life is but what the craft is but in the commercial sense you do have these stop gaps of of um feeling like it's completely you vulnerably yeah but like then you think like my god if you think about the Arturs of our time, like tarantino or wes anderson you're like man They are giving that level of individuality on that scale. It it creates an appreciation that I don't think was possible for me, at least, before I made some personal stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I experienced a tiniest fraction of what they probably feel when, I mean, probably just get murdered and celebrated (laughs) all in the same, like... (laughs) Threat. oh yeah you know crazy yeah
0: um it seems i think you know obviously knowing a little bit about you it seems a bit obvious the connection of this story to the things that matter in your life in general why if um you're thinking okay i want to do a short film and there's a blank canvas because you could write about anything yeah why do you think you tapped into this story in particular going back into your background a little
1: yeah no there's several reasons you know um there was like personal approach to the project and like a business thought you know Mm. So the story of the genesis of a lot of reasons so i lived in like basically a mile from where we shot most of it and just around there i lived in that neighborhood and having lived there i it seems odd but i really like fell in love with the people and the community and the aesthetic of it it was interesting to me that people always looked at north philly as this gross dirty violent place when i had this total perception of i was welcomed i've had good friends that i was meeting there and so i don't know it was just like close to my heart like i have an affection for that area of Philly. And so, you know, when I was just kind of jotting down, okay, what do I want to make? I was like, well, I'd love to shoot something there because I've never really seen anything shot there. So Mm. there's a ton of production value off the bat in this neighborhood. And then I have a good friend. uh, His name's Andre Wright. He runs a basketball camp or series of camps in that neighborhood. And he would always tell me stories about kids that were bringing guns to practice or like all these crazy things that these kids had to overcome just to play basketball. And I always Mm. thought that was interesting that he's trying to coach basketball, but he's really trying to like raise men because they're fatherless or, you know, their mom is on drugs and, you know, selling their Jersey, like the craziest things that Yeah, A coach
0: normally does that, but there it's on like steroids.
1: Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I've had that in my mind. Him and I talk a lot and like hang out. And so I was like, okay, I could probably tap into something like really unique there. And then Dan, my business partner, loves basketball. He was a scholarship athlete in college. So I was like, wow. This will be really cool for him because that'll get him amped about it if it has basketball so i'm like docking all these things and then there there are all these abandoned rooftops in philly uh where these all these schools are shut down which is sad but they have these caged in courts that are all abandoned and i had shot in one years ago for an eagles commercial and it got cut out of the commercial and i was so bummed because i'm like man this is such a cool location it was a classic client thing where it was like, well, we don't want to promote breaking and entering or vandalism. So <laughs> I was like, okay,
0: uh, uh, something that no one would ever think of.
1: No, yeah. but okay, never mind. <laughs> it was awesome. It was like these kids playing catch up in the cage, you know, in I'm Shirley. sure it looked beautiful. Yeah. And so yeah. I was like, Oh, I'm going to shoot there one day. So I was like, all right, I got to put a scene up there and then something, and then it just started to, you know, grow into how can I take this like visual motif in this cage and put it in this real life, this kid's circumstance. And I was led, you know, how could I actually visualize someone's internal struggle? And I always thought what's an interesting aesthetic in North Philly is that if things are left unattended, the vines literally like rip apart homes, these like, it's just the weeds are insane there. And so I was like, how could I infuse that in someone's life? Like if they're left unattended, they literally rot and die, you know, and to challenge the notion of I used to tell people that weren't from North Philly, especially from my like white suburb life, you know, people are like, why the hell does Ricky live in North Philly? Like couldn't compute it. And I would always tell them, you know, yeah, there are kids and people in these neighborhoods making bad decisions, but I really question whether I would make any different decision if I grew up there, you know? Oh yeah,
0: no. A lot of that stuff is circumstantial and yeah. not, and having the empathy to understand that is huge. It's yeah. the only way to ever start creating positive totally, changes yeah. to that.
1: So I, you know, from the beginning, like something that was challenged to me is you're really creating a, um, an ensemble film for a short, which everyone advised me not to do, you know, the Mm -hmm. best shorts are two people talking in a diner and it's like in and out, but I'm like, if I get to make one short, if this is the only piece of thing I ever get to make, because who knows if I'll ever have money again, like I really want to pay tribute to this place that I love and the people that I love. And I want to give people a glimpse into how I see the community. Um, and so there was a lot of challenges too on like, you know, if you look at the story structure, it's a little weird where you kind of jump in after like conflict has happened. And a lot a good of, thing. a lot of people were, well, I thought so because I was also telling the story from my point of view, which was when I lived there, I would see these things go down and not really oh, know what was happening. Sense. Yeah, I yeah. would just get the, you know, I've seen shootings on my block there and I've seen, and but I know these guys and I'm like, what, dude, what the hell? And they'd have to like, like, like backtrack me through the story. um, And I'd still only get pieces. And so I was like, I wanted that lens. But a lot of people that would read the script to go, no, there needs to be an inciting incident. That's what like every filmmaker is like, you know, Zeke needs to get beat up and then they revenge him. And I'm like, yeah, because that's how it works in like your mind. But in this world this shit it's happens it's just an ongoing thing yeah, it's just yeah, an ongoing yeah. like people get in arguments it's, who and knows then they who shoot started first yeah. yeah 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 it's insane and so well
0: i i, I yeah. mean i think from a storytelling perspective it what better way to automatically grip than like establish that something happened and the audience is playing catch-up but in a fun way yeah. you know like you hit the ground running in that sense yeah
1: yeah i mean i i think it works and obviously like you know I think the film has been really re- well received, but it was a good test of my trusting my gut. Like, no, this is this is how it needs to get told. Um you know not listening to certain outside voices and being okay that some people might miss it and
0: oh, then, yeah and there's also it's i feel like there's always this there's always the caveat of like well that could work but you'd have to do it well and it's like well yeah no shit like, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> i'm not trying <laughs> to do this average yeah <laughs> yeah it's like no like look you you can like come in mid mid um conflict but like you know you're really gonna have to ace that it's like wasn't I going to have to ace it no matter what like what are we talking about yeah yeah that's what
1: everyone uh I've gotten that reaction and thank god I finally actually made something because people would read scripts I wrote or they read this script and the reaction was you're gonna need some A-list performances to pull this off I'm like well (laughs) who goes into a film wanting like a C-list performance like of course I want an A-list and and (laughs) I'd love to see
0: like what does the script look like where you're like you know what the script is so good that your actors could could really phone it in <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like what? Like, in what world does that exist
1: <laughs> exactly it's a good point I'm like I should use that I'm like at what point do you not need amazing acting it's like everything yeah, hinges or amazing on that. anything yeah. I mean every good film yeah. has
0: like every department is is batting is swinging for the fences there's no other way
1: oh man I, that's what blew me away too when I was because I edited the film also so I'm like putting it together and it was magical to be like man if Minka didn't shoot that extra little chunk even though I told him we didn't need it I'd be so screwed mm-hmm. right now or you know if our gaffer didn't do this or I'm thinking like if our mm-hmm. AD didn't push me to like get one more take and that's the one that I'm like man I could have this could thing could suck so many different ways it's Films crazy are yeah They're it's miracles. insane like when
0: you get to the end of it you're just especially especially in post when all of that stuff starts happening yeah. And you're just, it's a mind blowing thing. Um, well, I'd love to go back a little bit. So, because I guess the amount of commercial work that you've done, I'm s- somewhat surprised to hear that the new, maybe not a new goal, but the goal is like features. When did you get into the into filmmaking? How young were you at the t- when, when it first started knocking?
1: Um, I mean, I've been making videos since I was like, you know, eighth grade. Um, okay I started making skate videos for buddies I basically when I realized I sucked at skating and everyone was getting better <laughs> it was your way to hang yeah yeah I was like okay well I can ollie so I can at least do that but you know I'm holding a camera so I'm like that's as far as you know it was like a total <laughs> excuse but I actually genuinely liked it but then I uh I went through college and I didn't actually study filmmaking and What'd it was um I studied theater at first okay and Related. um yeah, it was totally related and I I realized pretty quickly like acting is cool but then I was like ah oh, but I I want to rewrite everything that like I'm supposed to be in. So then I started writing and I got really into writing and then I was like oh, man, I wish I could just make this myself. And so then I just started hanging out with buddies and they, you know, it was right when the DSLRs started coming out, so I was able to get my hands on some cameras like right out of college and I I just basically started learning as I was doing. And so but I I feel like it's always been a part of what what. what I wanted to do like I've when I was I think gosh what grade I was in first grade I think my dad got me this old computer from his office it was just like black and yellow DOS whatever and my aunt was a producer I wrote a script still this day I remember it's called Half Soldiers it's about Mm. these young kids because I wanted to act in it too that break into a military camp to save their parents and like do training in the attic and stuff and like fight this military resistance. It's like home alone, but in a military base <laughs> and I wrote the whole script. I had a treatment like, cause she would send me scripts all the time to read. So
0: you kind of had a, your grasp of what was behind these things.
1: Oh yeah. From a,
0: from a young age.
1: Yeah. And so she laughs today cause I was, she, you know, I remember she told me, Oh, it's so cute. And I was like pissed. I'm like, no, like we're. I want you to make this movie. This isn't movie. cute. This
0: is serious. Yeah, like
1: what are you talking about? Just poured my heart into this page. Like, <laughs> what's wrong with you? So, um,
0: no, that's awesome. I, I, in preparing for the for the episode, I was reading. I guess you were working in Hollywood on the um, production side. Yeah. And then at some point, you there was like a crisis of of <laughs> uh, conscience or something. Oh yeah. What I, what uh, happened?
1: No, I was so I worked the last. I guess, a job before starting the company. I worked for a producer named Sam Mercer. And um, he had done, I think, M. Night Shyamalan's first seven films he was a producer on. And he goes back. He's done films for every major filmmaker you can imagine. Yeah. Um, Like he just did. His last film was for Spielberg. So I got a job through you know i was paing and i got connections whatever he hired me to be his assistant and we traveled to philadelphia to do the last airbender and i was in philly for two and a half years working on that movie so that was my real like first introduction to um philadelphia and it was during that time where i did i did have a little bit of a crisis it was a crisis of faith i guess you could call it and i don't know where you'd land on the religious spiritual realm. But for me it was when I was in high school, I had became a Christian, but I quickly realized while I was in Philly, that that meant nothing more than I just felt guilty for all the things I continued to do. So it was like (laughs) nothing in my life had actually changed. Um, Uh,
0: Except now guilt has been introduced.
1: Yes. Except now I like felt bad and then had to just like bury my guilt so I could keep doing, you know, like whether it's like, Oh, you're drinking too much or hooking up with girls and all these things that like didn't change in my life and so I really had a crisis of like now I'm in Philly away from all my friends away from anyone that really knows me why am I still identifying as a Christian it doesn't seem worth it to me because I thought I don't I just I, I remember I was sitting at my desk and I was thinking like if God is actually real like he's definitely has there's more value than me just being a really nice person that feels bad about things that aren't even that bad you know and so Mm. i decided like you know what i'm gonna actually open a bible for myself and ignore all the crap i'd ever heard in my life or the stuff i zoned out you know when i started going to church in college and actually like decide if I believe what this thing says. And something that really grabbed me was in the book of Matthew, there's Jesus talks about, you know, if you've cared for the poor, you've actually cared for me specifically. Like he has this allegory about the end times. And it was really interesting to me. Like, could that actually be true that like, if there's this like spiritual existence that Jesus is actually a part of the broken, like what was so crazy to me is that what I felt like churches somehow just missed is like Jesus loved like prostitutes and drunkards was like eating at tables of like society scum. That
0: flips your guilt a little bit. Oh yeah. I I was like, man,
1: I feel like
0: shit. I'm (laughs) hanging
1: out with the wrong people. Like, I yeah. I was really astonished at how much he's like, Jesus, like I came for people that knew they were sick. And so it was really naive, but I basically started, I went and I made like a bag of lunches and I went and met homeless people on the street one Saturday morning. Again, cause I, you know, I have time. I'm like by myself in Philly. And I remember meeting this guy. He was like this huge, like ripped black dude. That was homeless and I was like hey do, would you want to share a lunch with me he's like sure and he's like what are you doing like why are you ha- you know handing out lunches I was like oh I'm hoping to meet Jesus like are you Jesus and he's like no I'm not Jesus like cracking up but he's That's like "That's
0: kind of a crazy thing yeah I was kind of say. like
1: insane but uh but his name was will and we started um meeting every Saturday we'd go to this place called pizza on pine and we get some pizza and just chill and that was really what I think is like relationships like that where I feel like truly the Lord yeah like part of what the bible said was that the holy spirit would change your desires and i was in a job where i like freaking loved the work i was doing sam was literally has equipped me to be able to run the company i run now i learned so much from him and all of a sudden i was like thinking about will and these aaron and these other people that were homeless on the street and how i'm like working 12 hours a day on this movie making money and i'm like this doesn't seem right like i should be doing something to help my friends out they're no longer just homeless people they're were like genuinely people that were friends of mine and i just felt like my desires completely started to change and how old
0: were you when that was going on
1: probably like 26 I don't know, Mm I have to do the math, but, you know, mid-20s. Yeah. And so, yeah, so one day, you know, basically Will's story was that he had been incarcerated. He didn't want to get back into the lifestyle that got him incarcerated, so he's living homeless. He broke into an abandoned building to get out of the winter, you know, cold, and got a citation for breaking and entering, couldn't pay the ticket, and was going back to jail. So one day I showed up and I never saw him again. And I had tried to call like nonprofits or people like, can you help them? But you know, unless you're like basically a mother with children and dying, like no one's going to help you. And so it was really frustrating for me. And then I basically had this idea one night, which ended up becoming what my company is now, which was I could teach Will and others to do what I do. I was working for one. Yeah, of
0: especially the, on the production side. Yeah, like completely that on the production side. don't require artistry, but just require being able to handle t- office work.
1: Yeah. And it's basically what I realized working for Sam is I could do two people's job at once. That's how intense and high fast paced and, you know, skill oriented my job was. But I was like, I could train someone to do this. I didn't go to school for this. Film schools aren't even teaching the stuff that I'm learning how to do. And so my vision was how could I basically just equip people coming out of homelessness or incarceration with the skills necessary, whether it's it's not even just film production, like any administratively tasked career, because what I realized is no one ever asked me, like, even if I went to college, they just knew I worked for so-and-so was really good. So I got hired. I mean, I didn't even have a resume ever. I would just get phone calls like, Hey, so-and-so told me to call you. Can you work tomorrow?
0: Like, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially I mean, you, film. yeah. You know how it resumes. works.
1: Yeah. Resumes yeah. are ridiculously waste of time. And so I basically took that like seed of a notion and I stewed on it for about a year putting like business plans together, which are totally useless now and Mm -hmm. terrible, some terrible ideas in there. And... Eventually just I I walked into Sam's office. I remember we were working at Universal and told him I was going to quit and start a company that hired people coming out of incarceration. He looked at me like I was completely lost my mind. And then when I tell him I'm doing it. Did
0: he look at you that way? Like, Oh yeah. There wasn't any indication that like this Had you let on, and not that maybe you were going to be doing this, but that there were things about your personality where this seemed like a good fit? Yeah, I
1: mean, it wasn't like a total shock. I had given him a heads up that I was thinking about it. I think it was a total shock that I actually went through with it. You know, Mm. I was starting basically what I said, oh, I'm going to start a commercial film company because I can train guys on commercials because they're smaller, quicker. Mind you, I'd never actually made a commercial, but I was going to start a commercial. You
0: had spent your whole time in narrative. And feature
1: yeah I was just on the weekends I would shot like some videos with buddies but I'm thinking right. yeah I'll just make videos and people will pay me to make them like I had no concept of how the actual industry worked I didn't even know you worked with ad agencies is supremely naive but I felt genuinely like spiritually convicted that this is what I needed to do it like haunted me for a year every time I tried to be like oh I'll just do it after this next movie because we were basically heading to London to shoot Snow White and the Huntsman and that was like my dream travel internationally I was gonna get paid a ton. They're going to pay to put me up. I mean, it was like everything I'd ever wanted. Um, But I just knew if I didn't do it now, I'd never do it later. It was mm-hmm. like was it only gets get, harder. It only gets your, harder. Your your
0: so. your infrastructure only gets more fortified.
1: Exactly, and so I, uh, you know, it was a mix. Like I, Sam's back in my life now, so it's he's like a proud father seeing how I've actually I that's cool. I didn't like drown. <laughs>
0: is he back in the mix like work wise or just um, yeah
1: yeah uh, both? We're like just from like a mentorship standpoint, but also from you know we're talking about doing something together. So um, cool, which is extremely exciting, but. But, you know, at the time, I think it was confusing to him. I was like, I think it was, con- it was, I've talked to people, you know, now that they can safely tell me they thought I was crazy because I actually like didn't fail, but they didn't understand. That seems
0: to be a recurring theme. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> with, with, with decisions you're making.
1: Yes, yeah, exactly. I get a lot of like, well, you can you leave
0: Sam Mercer, but you actually have to do a good job after.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> and I was prepared to like be like a barista and a total failure. You know, something I made peace with.
0: You had to be prepared for that.
1: Um, How could you not? Yeah, I mean, because I didn't know what was going to happen and, you know, but something I made peace with is people are always like, how the heck did you make that decision? Because, you know, it was, I was in a position that people fight over to get, you know, working for this guy. And he trusted me, like he gave me a lot of power and authority and, you know, I was running second units and I was learning. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, And my, the team, I mean, everyone was, it wasn't like I was in like a bad job that like was killing my soul. Like I actually, it was a great job. Um, And you know but something i told i forget you know but basically when i like was processing this was he said you know i just imagine it's kind of a morbid thought but i just imagined my life and i'm like 80 years old and i'm dying and i said you know there's two things that are going to be real one i die and i become dirt next to a tree and i have absolutely no recollection that i made the stupidest decision of my life quit working for sam it imploded i had to get an office job i never saw the glory of filmmaking it's like i'll just be dirt dead next to a tree I said but if god is real and the things in scripture are true and i like live for that reality and providing that hope to people now it's like that's gonna be a pretty awesome way to die and so the, the comfort to me was if I was wrong, I wouldn't even have the knowledge to know that I was basically chasing a God that didn't exist because I'm just dirt next to a tree. It like totally is the weirdest concept You but found
0: you found some peace in that. Yeah, I said, you know what? Decision. If
1: I'm a total fuck up for the next eighty years of my life, does it really matter? You know, like cause I'm gonna die. So you know, I was telling someone, you know, you can believe whatever you want, like spiritually, faith wise, but someone who lived five hundred years ago has been dead longer than they were alive. And that's something to really think about. Like, no matter what yeah, you believe, I mean, I, it's look, you know, I'm not a,
0: am not a religious person. Um but you know, humanism. I think definitely runs through my veins and yeah. like you can have the same understanding of how to care about others and, and a desire to do so and go about your day in ways that facilitates not just yourself
1: totally through
0: through that. Oh, yeah. Um, so if we extract the details through which your belief system is like structured there's a lot in common between us except oh, yeah. for kind of the mechanisms that put it all in play
1: oh yeah and i, I yeah and i i've told people too something like you know someone who has actually read the bible which i actually challenged that a lot of people who claim a faith to or religion have not actually read. have never read it that's what i realized i'm like you guys aren't actually like like let's stop fooling each other you know like mm-hmm. but something i've recognized is like i'm not actually responsible to change anyone's mind like hello no. if god is he's going to like you know like i can just be free to love you as you are at all moments and passages of your life like i am not the judge nowhere in scripture does it say i get to and hold any be, gavel that, you know that you could know?
0: be an a religious standpoint
1: yeah you know, non,
0: that could be a non-religious standpoint too
1: yeah i mean that's what in a good, i felt in a, a lot of freedom way. of like for me, I know how selfish I am. I also know how much I care about what other people think. It blows my mind. I was able to make the decision that I did to start the company because it's so counterintuitive to everything in my human flesh. Like it.
0: Well, it's uh, funny. You know, you know I, this tends to happen a lot in these in the conversations that I have with people. Um, details are mm-hmm. different, of course, but that sure. you know. 'Cause what you're saying right now is true, but yet it also has you know, it, it's opened itself up for a ton of success and opportunities and oh yeah good I fortune. Mean- and but, but that's a good thing like this is a positive it's nice that it can be both helpful and, and achieve those higher ideals and also not that doesn't have to be a sacrifice for your um, own life design. oh yeah I mean yeah.
1: what's crazy and something that I'm just so grateful for is I've actually gained a ton if you think from just like a I mean I'm Absolutely. actually a director now like working for Sam I would have continued to I mean my path was to become a producer which ultimately creatively isn't what I wanted to do I wanted to be a director right. so you could argue I was gonna have to make that decision eventually, anyway. Whether it was for a faith reason or just like, uh, "Yo, dude, I mm-hmm. want to be a director. I can't work for you anymore." I mean, you could say that. Arguably, I would have had to make that decision, you know. But anyway, it's just it's whatever. It's what got me out the door. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> you know? No. Hey. Yeah. No. It's 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 always uh, a fascinating thing to me because I think you know there is a um, a contingent of people in the creative circles that. Kind of fall in line with where you're at and like religious views and allowing that to be a real source of strength for you. And it's something that I don't share, but I know a lot of people who do. And sure. it's it's fascinating to um, understand your perspective.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, I always what I tell people, too, is like, obviously, you know, I don't know why my faith comes up in the weirdest of conversations like a podcast. But, you know, it is like a part of it is my voice. Like, you know, even if you watch The Cage, I didn't intend for it to have like a spiritual theme. But that is just what like came out of me. Yeah. Like when I I mean, I mean, there's a
0: a section that's obviously quite religious.
1: Oh, completely. But
0: and I mean, especially like the rose and the thorns. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's all over it. Crown. Yeah. (laughs) Which, it's, but it, over it in ways that seem like actively chosen details.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I'm, I definitely didn't shy away from it, but it's just when I went into writing it, I didn't. It evolved out of me. Like I didn't go into it going, "I'm going to write a script that like talks about faith." and the, you know, it was like,
0: right, right, right.
1: You know, it was like a really just kind of. I was excavating down into what, like even the whole. Um, so like, for instance, the whole narrative shifted days before the shoot. The original voiceover was actually from the perspective of Zeke, the kid, and actually didn't have the, like, religious or faith overtones that it does now. But I met with OG Law, who plays his dad. He's so good. He's Oh, man, is he amazing. so good. Yeah, and so Ooh. I go to his house with uh, one of our producers, Andrew, just to meet him because I wanted him to play the dad. And he started reading the voiceover I had written, which I was never satisfied with. Like, I was constantly rewriting it. And I just, it like was not working. And he started reading it and his voice was like, he just, he connected to the material. So I actually was like, I'm going to come back tonight and I want you to read something new. So I went home and I rewrote the whole script from...
0: inspired by his voice
1: inspired by his reading of a bad voiceover and (laughs) i could like all of a sudden it just like i felt it i was like oh my gosh this is what the story is it's a father who's lost his ability to be a father and it's his last it's his hail mary to say i know you son and i know where you're going and you're you're going towards death and i've seen yeah and he's basically like saying like i've seen light but i'm still in the darkness and i don't want you to join me here And I don't even know if you'll be able to hear me, but it is just
0: fascinating how our projects keep evolving oh yeah like once you think you know what the project is you're at like iteration one of like the next 200 like you thought you knew oh yeah like and and, and forget just changing the voiceover um in changing the voiceover you change the entire meaning of the film and that's oh, wild
1: huge that like yeah. the whole
0: meaning of the film can flip a couple months in on a lark because someone read something in an interesting way that's
1: oh this was crazy. three days before we started to shoot I was cha- wow. changing scenes and rewrote the whole whole voiceover and the whole message at the end and I was like it all of a sudden just like gelled I was like oh my god that's that is the story you know, and then there was even just iterations of it that they brought to life, like the performances that changed its feeling. And it was
0: crazy. A lot of people, a lot of people who want to be making projects like this, like, I think that they get locked up thinking that there needs to be a concrete, you know, foolproof understanding of what their project needs to be prior to going into it. Um, thinking that that's, what's required to make something good, but it's really, I mean, it's the, it's the total opposite. I just got off of, of, of a project where the same amount of change was happening. Forget prior to starting the shoot, it was a four day shoot. We, we changed a massive scene on day three that was shot on day four. Like, (laughs) you know, and we all like felt so satisfied with like, Oh yeah, now it makes sense. But like, you can't wait around for it all to make sense. You're never going to start.
1: No. And you know, there's a great book that has been a massive encouragement to me throughout running the company, and then I leaned on it a lot making this film. Uh, It's called Creativity Inc. It's written by Ed Catmull, who started Pixar. It's like the whole book is highlighted, basically. I mean, (laughs) every creative person should read it. But he talks about, at Pixar, he was like, every movie in the beginning sucks every idea sucks and it's like that has given me so much comfort because I kept rewriting and writing and like I didn't stop I didn't settle ever even three days leading up to production I was still working on the voiceover I remember sitting in my office telling Dan like dude it's just not it just feels cheese it doesn't feel right then I go meet OG law and I came back to the office in one hour rewrote the whole voiceover almost to T what it is now and I'd been working on it for months but like that just one little click is all it needed but there was value in me pounding up the wrong Hill because I realized like there was the, no question in my mind. It was the wrong hill. I just had to run down and go up the right hill. It's like, so. yeah, no,
0: I think it's, it's being, it's feeling, it's being comfortable in the fact that you're not comfortable and like not letting that, yeah, not letting that cause paralysis.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You have to live, you know, so, at least for me as a director, I don't, you know, other directors are totally different. Maybe they are just these masterminds that have the matrix like all in their purview. I'm finding is, out that's not <laughs> true. Yeah. But I I feel episode like by episode. what I learned is that being able to have a strong vision, but having open ears to like listen when something good comes in front of you, like OG Law and go, That's the guy. That's it. And he didn't nail the performance when we met that night, but there was enough there where I was like, I can get him there on the day. You know? And You saw it.
0: You saw enough to have a massive shift.
1: Yeah. Like,
0: truly your project changed completely you know, and
1: you know, like, you know it, I mean it happened with all everyone in the film got to a point where I could tell that it was their own like they saw the vision for it themselves which I think that's so huge was something that given the weight of the script and you know they're not actors but they were like you know I, I think about Aisha who plays the mom You know, she's not a prostitute in real life, but she knows women that sell themselves to make a buck to like pay rent and to get by. And she can. But I said, you know, the failure would be not to recognize the pain in that, that at one time you were a mom that held your son and had hopes to be like this beautiful mom. And now your son watches you invite men into your home. I mean, she could get it. It was like, you know, that it was like a huge, I don't know if an actress living in Brooklyn, like trying to grind to make a living as an actress, would understand that conversation? I'm sure they're out there, but I also didn't have access to like Oscar-nominated actresses like Viola Davis. Oh no! You know what I mean? Oh, I thought. I <laughs> no, thought, everyone I thought that's doesn't. The only people you choose from. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, normally, but I really wanted to push myself here to not work. Yeah, with no, Oscar no, you talent. wanted an
0: extra challenge because yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, because um, filmmaking so easy for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I mean look. I think especially, you're, you know you're really cooking with gas when you start to have something that from an emotional takeaway standpoint with everyone involved is working as a Rosetta Stone type of piece where people start pulling their own things out of it that you didn't intend and in the beginning that could be harrowing because you wanted to create something that has like a singular, your singular expression and the reality is you actually, if you really want to make something that does, you know, resonate with a lot of people it has to resonate in ways that you can't predict or um, control and like letting go of needing to have that, I think is how you get there.
1: Yep. It's totally accurate. I mean, I think, you know, there's so many analogies that you can think of as you're a quarterback or a general, but I really felt that's what was, I, I guess came full circle to learn is like, I'm leading a body of people towards a vision and their voice can influence its greatness. I mean, I think that's, I mean, the cage is, it's like a 13 minute short that's going to come and go into oblivion. But for a small pocket of time to a certain group of us, we all know that it was, it was like a magical feeling, you know, especially for people that, you know, Aisha was my neighbor for five years, lived next door to me. Yeah. We went through highs and lows together, got really close. She had no idea that one day I am just going to walk across the street and go, Hey, you want to be in a movie? It's like yeah you know it's well crazy. you know it's
0: it's interesting like i think a lot of people's first films have this element and the real question is like what happens when all of this type of stuff isn't there
1: oh i i think about it now as i you know take meetings or talk people are asking what's next it's hard because the cage in a lot of ways was a five year research project just yeah. me storing up you know
0: it's the same as like a rock band's first album or something oh you know? yeah that, that took 20 that took 25 years and like anguish to make and then you need to follow up with your second ep in like 12 months yeah
1: exactly like all right we're gonna get some songwriters in here and just bang it out (laughs) it's like yeah yeah, you know and now
0: all of these actors aren't you know they're not going to be the neighbor of five years yeah um are you concerning yourself with that stuff yet or it's still so fresh you're still writing it out
1: no you know i think what i'm trying to reflect on is you know what truly made the cage successful and like what made it resonate with people you know like Mm -hmm. I'm trying to just I guess remember that as I go in because you know there are plenty of filmmakers that follow up the next film they make is great and that's I mean part of the deal like if I want to ever make anything else I'm gonna have to I can't draw from a five-year experience you know I mean it looks like I could probably tell another story in Philly and use a lot of what I learned and there's even more in me from that time but you know if i have to go tell a story about someone in germany it's like you know i'm not gonna have that i'm gonna have to do different research and so i think that's just but trying to understand like what was good you know spending hours just talking to people like with aisha and og law and you know hearing from them like what they got out of the script i think was really helpful to me in their experience you know i think about like the scene in the prison i remember we walked into that scene and we only had four hours to shoot there from load in to load out um because really it, It was an active prison and basically we called in a favor from these federal judges that we do our apprentice our company has an apprenticeship which you know i kind of got into but um Yeah, yeah basically called in a favor for us and so the warden and lieutenant there don't let people film at this prison, but I needed an active modern prison. I couldn't like all the prisons, people shooting in Philly are like abandoned. I'm like, you know, this isn't a 1970s drama here. Like I need something current, but the stipulation was we had to be out before visitation at 9 AM. So, um, but I remember sitting in that scene and you know, there was some dialogue and it was, again, I was like, this is a pretty heavy scene, but every single person in that room, you know, William, The young actor, his brother, had served time in prison and visited his brother. O.G. Law had actually done 11 and a half years at that prison, had sat behind that glass in that exact same seat, so he knew. Well,
0: you can't replicate something like that, my God. I
1: know, and Aisha, her son was currently serving time in that prison. She would visit him in that room, and then... For me, I actually have an older brother that's in prison. I currently sit in those rooms to visit him, okay. and so okay. I I opened up and I remember I said, "I want us to all talk about what this feels like to us personally," and like we all getting emotional. And I go, "We're gonna start right now," mm-hmm. and I was like, because I, I don't know, I just but there was like something I learned there is like letting everyone like feel like they're you know I'm not just imposing like, hey, that you have to be angry here and you're. I was like, let's just. No, we you're know talking what this is actually directing. Yeah, you know, but I didn't know that, you know, I don't, I never took like a directing class, you know, but,
0: but, it, you know, that difference between like what a school might teach you versus what real life might teach you. I mean, directing the X's and O's of like, now this time, more sad. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> like, it's getting a temperature for people and like creating an environment,
1: which totally, yeah, you were doing. That was wild. I remember we watched, I did the first takes with OG Law behind the glass there. It was another one of those kind of like church moments when I was just like, "Holy shit, this is crazy!" Like no, he was no, just so was really he was so in it.
0: The way that um when it's, when Zeke said, "You're just a sperm bank." Oh yeah. The way his reaction. Oh. Was yeah. just so incredible.
1: That's what I really you applaud know. them for. I mean, none of them being actors, is they just super. It was like I said, like we're gonna go play pretend, like we're little kids, no one's watching. And I said, all you got to do is just listen and feel it. And it's just like they did it. I mean, I think that's the hardest part. Having gone through being an actor, like training, I think the worst actors are ones that constantly think about how do I look as I'm performing versus like just being like just you are, you know, you're OG law, dude. On the other side of the glass, like just hear your son say, I mean, he, he just, he just destroyed it. I couldn't have asked for a better performance. Like, honestly, it's just like, yeah. Yeah. it was like crazy when i remember watching that i like peeked my head out and everyone's like holy shit even like the lieutenant that was there he was watching us he's like man this movie's gonna be fucking good that's what he said <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> i was like yeah.
0: oh no but there's a real power in that when it when it just becomes palpable like sometimes like there's nothing better than you know yeah. cut on a take and everyone in the room is like yep yeah
1: i would never had that it's though happening. you know it's like rarely does it happen in a commercial when they're like whoo man my heart strains <laughs> like yeah, well, know. yeah. Now,
0: I mean, now that you got to go back to doing some of that, um, in what ways do you think it makes you better for that other arena?
1: Oh, I think it's helped me exponentially, and this is why I think I think I was good at doing client work and realizing that you know I'm here to provide a product for a client for like you know i'm lending my talents to someone to you know and and giving my perspective and pushback as much as necessary but i th- yeah. th- there was a portion of me that i'd find myself frustrated cuz i'm like oh my god here's another commercial that i won't be able to put on my reel and it's not going to represent me as an artist and i feel like what the cage did is it let me relax Like, you did it. You finally showed everyone what you can do. Like, you can just go into these projects and with the same level of like, hey, this is my vision. This is how I shoot. But there's less pressure, I feel like, for me to prove something versus I can just be hospitable to, you know, these ad agencies, people are have worked months on these ideas. They don't need some dick director coming in and being like, ah, get rid of this. Like, this is how it should be done. Like, um, not that I was like that, but there was a tinge of me like that I'd react to stuff I didn't like thinking, Ugh. you know, where now I'm like, you know, let me see how let me see what they're really getting at here and see how I can bring it to life the best way I can. Even if it's not what I completely agree with, I can yeah. probably help bring this to life. You know, I don't well, know, there's like a pressure that, off.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you bring this up because I was going to mention this in that it seemed to me in viewing all of your work up until the cage that like the cage com- like your other work is good and it's 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 <laughs> yeah. but you know like it's buttoned up high aesthetic but this is the cage is something else right mm-hmm. and the frustration that i think we all have like there's always this point where the the stuff you've been working on for the last 6 months to a year it all finally comes out and you're like yeah like my current abilities are represented on to the world right now yeah and then like A year or two maybe goes by and you got a lot of stuff in post, but none of it's out or whatever the case may be. And you're like, I'm not currently what I'm capable of is not currently represented right now. And that's such a hard thing to deal with. And I think it's like this is that exaltation.
1: Totally. Uh, Yeah. yeah, I mean, I felt that that gap for a while. Yeah.
0: And it's interesting that now the benefit is that you can relax on these commercial sets and it'll probably, that that alone, that mental shift, I could see it making your commercial work better.
1: Well, and you know, I've, we're already in bids and pitches on jobs because of the cage so they're you know going back to what i was saying like from a business perspective when you know i want to shoot features i needed to show people i could handle narrative but i also live in a commercial business so i wanted the film to have like a commercial edge like training sequences so that you know a sports brand would see that and go wow that guy can shoot some pretty cool sports stuff you know there it was always in my mind and so it, it. there is part of it that's nice now like we're in some bids now we're we're referencing the cage as like what they liked about my work and even the work that we're getting is um more creatively stimulating you know it doesn't in any way negate work that i would say isn't creatively stimulating because like i said now i go into any project that has crossed our plate. I'm excited about because, wow, how amazing is it that someone's going to pay me to use these tools to make a commercial? It's like just I'm getting paid to practice, too. I mean, that's something, too, that I realized, you know, the cage doesn't happen if I haven't been doing this for years and like honing my craft. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like you can't really knock client work, even if it's not no. really no, cool no, no, no. sports brands, you know, all work. No,
0: it's practice on someone else's dime. Oh,
1: yeah. And I tell our team like there are no cool jobs and not cool jobs. Like every job is amazing. And we're going to bring every level of our talent to every job possible because you can learn and grow and you get to make a client happy to them. It's important. So it should be important to us.
0: That mentality is palpable in something like um, the Xfinity shipyard. Yes. I mean, that piece doesn't have business looking (laughs) and feeling that. good. (laughs) Yeah. You know? that you know what so. that's
1: a good example of and i appreciate that where we pushed back hard toward the client where you know if you look at any comcast commercials they're very bright and commercially as i said but i would push back and i said you didn't hire us for that you hired us because you wanted people to feel something and trust me you can actually feel something with the products you're putting out just you know trust us and I said and it's Philly like it's a moodier city with we're shooting in the shipyard like these are blue-collar like you know and they trusted us and you know I think everyone was satisfied in the end because people see the commercial and go wow that's really new for Xfinity I mean it's not groundbreaking but I think for them it was a really strong step in like an aesthetic and storytelling direction that was right. a, a good marriage of me being like you know we pulled back on some stuff it's that your we mantra get to on display Yeah. So, but that was like a really cool like back and forth with a client that eventually trusted us to shoot it in an unorthodox way that they're not used to, which is like a very staged setup commercially vibe, as I would say.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but you know, like it had the same level of aesthetic as the cage. Like, if the cage had a scene at the shipyard, like, (laughs) I feel like you could have used the same footage and it would have blended in just fine.
1: Which we should. We should have put a scene there because the (laughs) shipyard is insane.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, next one. You're already starting to get the seeds. Yeah. Um, Well, great, man. I I feel like there's a ton of stuff I didn't even get to, but. Yeah, really sorry, enjoyed the conversation no 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 I really enjoyed the conversation and um, you know later on we'd love to have you back on and we could talk about new things different things but it's, it's been a real pleasure
1: definitely did. thank you
0: thanks man.